All right, it's good to be with you this evening. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 4, if you want to open up your Bibles and turn there. Uh, Daniel chapter 4. Uh, the story that, that we've been studying about is the story of Daniel and, and learning about uh, the life of Daniel and his three friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is what they're most commonly known as. Uh, but as we've been studying this, we've been learning a lot about uh, God's power and God's control. Uh, and a lot of comparison or contrast has been made between God and the King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember in that second chapter, uh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream that kind of terrified him. Uh, and he, didn't, he wanted somebody to tell him the dream and the interpretation to kind of help ensure that all of the things that they said would be true. And Daniel came through and, and revealed the, the meaning of the, dr the dream and the meaning of the dream. And then last chapter we saw how uh, it seemed as though Nebuchadnezzar was showing his pomp and his, his might to make a statue of solid gold, which you remember the dream had just a statue with a head of gold. So uh, kind of showing and displaying his power and the, the fact that he's going to rewrite the future. Uh, and he's going to make sure that the Babylonians are the last nation, the last kingdom on the earth. They're the, they're the only kingdom that will ever need to exist, is, uh, is, is what it seems like he is trying to get across. But as we come into uh, the latter part of that chapter, we learn that uh, he, is, he is blown away by the power of God. And that God is able to deliver uh, the, his servants who Nebuchadnezzar had, had commanded to be thrown into the fire. And so Nebuchadnezzar is, uh, uh, in, in some ways, overcome, destroyed, defeated because of God's great power. And, and Nebuchadnezzar seems humbled. And he, he is recognizing that there is this one true most high God who has the power to save unlike any of the gods on earth. But as we open up chapter 4, we get a very interesting turn in the story. Now, if you've studied uh, Daniel before, maybe you know this. The first time I'd studied it, I just had to read it again to kind of make sure it was saying what it was saying. So let's read through the first few verses of chapter 4 together and see what it means. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Let's pause right there. Do you notice whose words we're reading? <laughs> this is not Daniel's writing. This is not Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. This is not a Jew at all who's writing this. These are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. He is sitting down and recording information that is going to be handed down and, and provided for us in our Bibles, in our scriptures. The king of Babylon has something to say for all of us to hear, and it is a message that is being given by God. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has taken time to write a scroll and to give this information on to Daniel, who has recorded this and provided it for all of us to read and to learn. So what does the king have to say? Well, notice here, 
He is pointing out uh, that the most, uh, he's, he's, he's telling them of the signs that, and wonders that the most high God has done for him. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom's an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Notice he has now transitioned from the idea that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom to understanding the God most high who's revealed this dream in chapter 2. His kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. The message has sunk in to the mind of Nebuchadnezzar. And what he wants to do now in this chapter is reveal to all of us what brought him to that conclusion. And so this is a very interesting story. Now, Nebuchadnezzar starts to relay this message. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, prospering in my palace. Babylon is this beautiful metropolis. It's the, the greatest city on earth at the time with these beautiful rivers throughout and, and wonderful gardens, hanging gardens, one of the wonders of the world. Uh, they, were, they were known for their, their huge walls and, and uh, complete security throughout the city. And they were, they were known for building these big ziggurats, these big buildings that were almost like pyramids, but, you know, not. They had the more rectangular kind of shapes. And so, so he, was, he was prospering. His city was the greatest city on earth. And the town would have been bustling and buzzing with all kinds of people from all different nations. And it would have been a major hot spot for people to come and to trade and to, to spend their time there. I read that um, in some cases people would ride their ships down the river and then they would tear their ships apart and load them up on the donkeys that were in the ships as well as all their cargo, and they would have to take all their stuff back, all, their whole ship back uh, on the roads in order to uh, bring all their trade to the land of Babylon. This was a major place that everybody wanted to come to to make trade. So whenever it says he was at ease in his house and prospering in his palace, he was, he was completely at ease. Everything was going well for Nebuchadnezzar. He had nothing to worry about. But the text tells us that he all of a sudden had a dream that made him afraid. Now, that sounds familiar, right? Chapter 2, he had a dream, made him afraid. He woke up in terror, wondering what this dream was all about. Well, in this case, though, he doesn't uh, go to the wise men and to the astronomers and to the magicians and command that they tell him the dream and tell him the interpretation. This time, he's going to just tell him the dream. He tells him the dream, and he wants to know the interpretation. He's just relaying all this information about this, this great dream that he had. And everybody's listening, but nobody knows what the interpretation is, or nobody will say if they know. And so he is confounded. What am I supposed to do? Well, he knows that Daniel is a man who has the ability to, to tell all of these dreams. He's the one who told him the dream and the interpretation. So he seeks out Daniel, whose name was also Belteshazzar in, in the Babylonian society. They renamed him. Uh, and, and he sought out Daniel, and he relayed the dream to Daniel, and he asked him for the interpretation. And, and this is him telling uh, the story. Verse 10, it says, The vision of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. 
The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the words of the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. All right, so he, he describes the dream to Daniel. And it's a dream of this big, beautiful, monstrous tree that reached to the heavens and that covered the earth. And this tree is shelter for all the birds. They make their nests in it. It has food, all kinds of different fruits coming from it. The, the animals come up to it. They find their shade. They find their food under this big, beautiful tree. And all of a sudden, a watcher, I don't know what a watcher is except must be an angel, says, cut it down. Now, why? (laughs) Why would you cut down this tree? Look at all that it's providing. Look at its beauty. Look at its glory. Why cut it down? But he said, cut it down and and lop off all the branches on it and and let all the, the fruit be scattered and all those animals need to get away from it and all the birds and everybody just get away from it. But then it kind of transitions. It tells us that there's going to be a stump there uh, that's going to be having these bands around it. And then it kind of transitions and it says, he, all of a sudden talking about a person, uh, verse, the middle of verse 15, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's mind. And let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. Now, the the interesting transition in the text goes from talking about this tree to telling us it's about a person. A person who's going to be cut down. A person who has once provided so much on the earth is now going to provide nothing, and they're going to be they're going to be cut down and going to be humbled and made to uh, give have a man a mind like a beast's mind. Okay, so there's some kind of transformation that's going to happen inside of this man, and so Daniel hears all of this and he says, "Ha ha ha!" No, he doesn't say that. He says nothing for a period of time. He sits there and he contemplates and he thinks about the things that are saying. And you can imagine the stress of waiting. <laughs> and it's kind of a reminder. The text tells us he's sitting there pondering about these things. And it's kind of a reminder that the king, who is just so powerful, has no control. A reminder that this king is once again 
terrified by a dream. He once again, the God that has all the power on the earth to conquer kingdoms, is conquered in his sleep by a dream that's been given to him. And he has no power and no control to understand the meaning and the message of this dream. But, but Daniel is pursuing the meaning and, and being given the meaning by God as he's waiting. And he starts off with, O king, live forever. Oh, that this dream was for your enemies, king. His first words to the king are words of comfort and respect and honor and love in some ways toward the king as he says what he's about to say. He says, you are this stump. You are this tree. First of all, he says, uh, this, is a, this is this beautiful tree that reached to heaven and was visible to the end of the earth. Uh, it is you, verse 22, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Because the sea the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the, earth, of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree from the Most High which has come upon my lord the king that you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel's very bold as he responds to the king. He tells him exactly what the interpretation is, that you are that tree and that you are about to be cut down. And he tells him that if, if you are unwilling to repent, then all of these things are going to happen to you and you're going to suffer this humiliation until you come to the conclusion and the recognition that God is truly the one who has control. This whole thing, remember, is being written by Nebuchadnezzar after he's learned the lesson. So, so Daniel says, you have to change. You have to repent to make sure that these things do not happen to you. And it seems that he does. After uh, hearing these words from Daniel, these bold words, he repents. He seems to repent. He seems to stop the oppressive nature of his reign and, and shows mercy and compassion toward other people for a period of time. But the text tells us after about a year... He's up on the balcony of his palace and he's enjoying the beauty of this wonderful city. And he says, wow, what a wonderful and beautiful city I have built and established with my wisdom and my power and my hands. 
He's just full of pride and arrogance. And at that moment, the angel is sent to decree. It says, verse 31, While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you'll be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. Nebuchadnezzar went insane. Nebuchadnezzar went insane. God, in a moment, could turn his brain from the mind of a man's to the mind of an animal's and send him out into the wild alone to eat grass and do whatever it is that animals do. And this happened to, to Nebuchadnezzar for some period of time, some seven-year period. You look at historical records, there does seem to be kind of a gap in the record-keeping with Nebuchadnezzar. And he all of a sudden comes back to his reign, it seems, and, and takes back the throne and... At that time, they're happy to have him. And then he has even more prosperity and even better reign than what he had before. But there's a period of time whenever he, in his pride and arrogance, was humbled and forced to live a life destitute and alone and mentally ill, <laughs> to put it lightly. And after that period of time was over, he finally came to the realization that God is the most high God. And it says in verse 34, At the end of, of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now... I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Isn't that a great story? That's an amazing story to read the words of the king of Babylon making the comment that the God that we serve is the most high God who is worthy of praise and is able to humble the proud, to completely change the course of their life in an instant at his command. He has the power over the most powerful man who walks on the earth. Okay, so what do we learn from all of this? Well, first of all, the obvious is God is the ultimate ruler of the earth. Always has been, always will be. 
Chapter 4, verse 17 is, is the key verse in the chapter, the key verse really in the whole book of Daniel. Uh, so you need to know this verse. It says, The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And I like this part. And sets over it the lowliest of men. The whole book of Daniel is written for this very purpose, that we would understand God is in control. God has power over all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has the ability to take the, the most proud man and to humble him. He has the ability to put certain rulers and leaders in positions of power and authority as he sees fit. To provide for the nation suffering or to provide for the nation prosperity. It's all a part of his working. And so as we read that and we understand that major concept in the book of Daniel, do we believe that God's power extends to today? We've got another election year coming up, right? Next year is going to be a crazy year. Are you ready for it? Uh, well, Daniel is hopefully making us ready for it, helping us understand that, you know, we all vote, we all have a part to play in the election process, but really, God is the one who is determining who's going to be in positions of power and control and authority in the government. God is the one who leads the nations of the earth and, and brings them to a point of prosperity or brings them to the point of destruction. We see this throughout the Old Testament. He makes this very well known throughout uh, Ezekiel and, and Isaiah and other texts where he, he brings down judgment against all these nations. He says, I see all that you're doing and, and, and I know what's going on and I've got things planned for you. And don't worry about those other people. I've got things planned for them too. But here he just makes it so clear that it's not just about the kingdom of earth at this time, which is Babylon. The, 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 the dream in chapter 2 shows he, he, knew, he knows the future kingdoms of earth. Whenever you get to the end of the book, well, we're not going to study because it's a lot. <laughs> You're gonna, you see that he knows all the people who are going to be reigning and all the people who are influencing the people who are going to be reigning in these future kingdoms that are, that are hundreds of years in the future. He knows everything, and he has the ability to dictate and to control and to manipulate and change whatever he sees fit to accomplish his purpose in life. Now, our, our desire is for him to use that power and that authority to bring about, hopefully our thought is, not our prosperity, but his glory. And that should be our prayer uh, as, as we think about his power and how grand, grand his power is, that he would put in control the lowliest of men is going to help, hopefully, get people to focus on the glory of God, the pridefulness of men. You see this in this, in this text and in other texts. A proud leader is a dangerous leader. <laughs> He's going to be oppressive. He's not going to be merciful. He's not going to be gracious and kind and, and as God desires for him to be. He's not going to be a tree that provides fruit and blessing for everybody. He's going to be one that is, you know, trying to 
use and abuse and destroy other people. And so, but what we also learn in this is that pride can be inside of us, right? What we see in Nebuchadnezzar is enormous pride in his accomplishments and his abilities. And we really have to be on guard against those kinds of thoughts. Uh, whatever we accomplish in our life, can you just imagine looking at that beautiful house and, and the beautiful car and the beautiful family and thinking, wow, look what all I have done. That is not at all the right attitude. Satan wants us to believe this. He wants us to believe in ourselves. <laughs> and if you listen to the world around us, they're telling you you deserve it. And you work hard and you earn that and that's yours. And don't let anybody else have it and, and get your guns and shoot anybody that's going to come up against you and try to take it from you. Uh, because that, that's yours and you deserve it, you know. Um, and this overall mentality of pride and, and feeling as though we have these things, they belong to us, and no one else can have those things, is a little bit arrogant and a little bit wrong. What we see in Nebuchadnezzar is it was very wrong. Everything he had wasn't his own. It was from God. God provided it for him. And like Job, in a day, they could be taken, all these blessings can be taken away from us. And it's, it's the same response of Job should be our response. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. And so we see it kind of a, para, a, a contrast between Job and Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and that Nebuchadnezzar had everything taken away from him, and the result was the same. At the end of the story, Job appears to be humbled, even though he was a pretty awesome guy to begin with. At the end of the story, we see Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, and we also need to be humble. We shouldn't have to go through this whole process of, of losing everything to be humbled. Uh, we should, like Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, recognize what we're doing is wrong and that our attitude is wrong and make a change. And we see in this that there is a real power to humility and repentance. That because he was willing to be humble and repent, he was restored. The, the story isn't over with his punishment, you know. Really, God's desire is not the punishment, but God's desire is the redemption, the, the transformation that happens inside of Nebuchadnezzar so that he's able to tell others about it and to reveal to everybody in the book of Daniel what God has revealed to him. So does that sound like you? Is Nebuchadnezzar's story anything like your story? I'd be interested to know your salvation story. <laughs> I'd be interested to know how God has worked in your life since the time that you submitted your life to him to help you with this very problem that I think we all deal with, pride, and how he's helped us all, hopefully, to be uh, hum hum humiliated or humbled in some way so that we can give him the glory and honor that he deserves. Because that's what he's looking for in Nebuchadnezzar, and that's, exa that's exactly what he's looking for in us. To be a light is to shine a, a, a focus, a beam of light to God so that everybody can see his glory and what he's done for all of us. And lastly, we see that we can put our trust in God's providential working. You see, Daniel here is just living respectfully, Honoring the king who is a wicked king, <laughs> he's not good, okay? He's done horrific things to Daniel's people 
uh, destroying his city and, and, and all kinds of torment and evil things have gone on. And Daniel just plugging away, doing what's good, doing what's righteous in the midst of complete uncertainty. Daniel doesn't know what the future holds. He's in Babylon. And, and God's been with him, and God's helped him, and God's provided for him, and he's sheltered him, and, and done all kinds of great things for him. But man, can you imagine living in that foreign country? Again, reminding him, reminding everybody, he's in a foreign country, in a place where they do things completely differently. And, you know, at the flip of a hat, you can be thrown into a furnace, okay? So, so this is not a very comfortable and stable environment to live in. And here's Daniel, trusting God, making these bold statements to the king about the truth of what the dream means, and even telling him, you need to repent. And all the while saying it in a respectful, in a kind, in a gentle, loving way. I wish it was for your enemies, king. He is under the authority of this king, and he's his boss, and he's his, he is the king. So he, he sends, spends all his time being an example of righteousness for everybody around him, him and his friends, and they're just trusting God, and God is working, and God is working throughout the story. So I love this story. I think it's amazing to understand uh, this concept. God has power. God has control. Trust him. Let him do his work. Don't be overwhelmed with fears and anxieties because our world is growing increasingly uncertain. Our world is nothing like the world of Daniel. And, and he trusted in God to get him through every day. And we should praise God for the blessings of this life in this country, but we also should be trusting God to get us through every single day until the end. Because that's ultimately what the life of faith looks like. And that's who we're called to be. We're called to be men and women who have faith, not fears, not anxieties about the future, but faith that God is in control and that he has the power to make things work out for our good. And if not, <laughs> then we're still going to obey him and we're still going to serve him and praise his name for everybody else. We're not going to bow our knee to the idol or anything like that. Uh, so, so hopefully that, that's encouraged you and helped you as we study Daniel together. Next time we'll continue our study and learn about the fall of the Babylonian kingdom. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it will be probably two weeks from today, um, maybe on Sunday morning. I hadn't decided yet, but looking forward to that. Uh, if there's anybody here tonight who has not yet obeyed the gospel and received the grace that God offers to you, you can be a child of his. You can put your trust in God and know for sure that he is uh, willing and able to provide you with an eternal home when this life is over. If you've not submitted yourself to the one who is in control of everything, why not? Are you really going to trust in yourself to accomplish your, your own salvation, your own redemption? Are you really going to trust in yourself to provide an eternal home in heaven when this life is over? None of us are righteous enough for that. Please don't wait. Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.